Okay, thank you, Bill. We'll follow our usual outline today. Uh, we've had our prayer request, but then we'll do something a little bit different than what we've been doing. I did not ask you to write a summary this week. If you didn't notice that and you wrote one anyway, you couldn't help yourself. That's great. We'll, we'll let you give it if you want to. But I ask you to look at, at finding the key verse in these 13 verses. The verse that best summarizes the content of these 13 verses or is one that is that seems to be the most important for helping us live the Christian life or just the most memorable verse? Which is the key verse that you would select in order to help you remember 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 13? And then we'll have our class discussion as usual, and then we'll look at the outline. So let's begin by reading the scripture. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 13. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this wonderful passage in 1 Corinthians 10. I pray that you would cause it to speak to our hearts today as we read it and study it and discuss it. Would you use this to help us all so order our lives that we live lives that are much more pleasing to you? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, key verse. First of all, does anyone want to give us a summary? Anybody write a summary that would like to, to give of these 13 verses? Anyone? You need not be aware of the, let's see, you need to be aware of the behavior of your fathers, or rather the people that came before you, because most of it was not pleasing to God. 
Look to this as an example and flee, for as a human you will be tempted, albeit none such that will be beyond your ability to endure. Very good. That captures some of the key points. Awareness. This is written so that the Corinthians, and by extension us, so that we are more aware of these things that happened in the in the wilderness to Israel and that that has direct application to us. It has been written down for us. And that when we are tempted, there is a way of escape. And so that's a very good summary of this passage. Now, I also ask you to, to select a key verse. Which of these 13 verses would you select as being the key verse and why? Who would like to? Yes. 12. 12. 12 says, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temp... Oh, no, that's it. Lest he fall. And why that verse? You're up on the ladder. It starts to slip. You, look, you take heed real fast. I know that. And you look for something to grab onto. If you take heed... Of this sin which crouches at the door. If you recognize it, you do take heed, decide to do something about it. Then you look for the remedy. Right. So again, awareness. And uh, and then, as, as Paul described in the previous lesson that we looked at in chapter 9, it's, it's I, think we res- I think we reached the conclusion that when he's talking about discipline, Discipline in the Christian life is is availing yourself of the means of grace to always be prepared to face the temptation and uh, and to take steps to avoid it uh, to not to fall. Now, when you're 76 years old, you don't have to get on a ladder to fall. <laughs> you just you know one inch off the ground and, or even on the ground. Okay. Any other any other key verses that you'd like to share? Well, you got to follow that up with 13. 13. Yeah, because that kind of answers these questions. You know, the, the thing, verse 12 takes, you know, be careful that you're not so prideful you don't think it could happen to you. And then, of course, 13 talks about that there is no temptation out there that hasn't already been experienced. Very good. 13, let, let me read that. 13 says... No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Sort of tells us, doesn't it, that we need to keep that in mind at all times, that God has prepared a way of escape when we are tempted. He will not allow us to be tempted beyond that, which we are able to endure. We ought to be always looking for occasions and asking God to keep this promise for us and helping us to endure the temptations. And I would add the testings to that. I think this includes the testings of life as well as the, the temptations of life. Yes. What's interesting is you think about some things even, you know, that I can attest to in my own life. Sometimes you don't necessarily avoid 
some of the consequences of falling into some of this. I mean, even if you go back, David, as an example, fell into temptation, but God gave him a way back in the sense of he, he struggled with, you know, what he had fallen from, and, uh, and there was consequences to it. But then God always let the way back, you know. So it doesn't automatically mean, oh, you're never going to fall into Right. Sin always has consequences. It always has consequences, and it's not just consequences for the sinner. It has consequences for other people as well, and that's something to keep in mind. But God promises that if we seek his help, then he will provide the way of escape. We don't always do that, and as Joe said, he provides a way back as well once we repent of that sin. Any other verses? There are several here, I think. That's the one I would pick 13 as being the most important to our lesson today. But there are several others that come close. uh, Verse number four, for they drank from that spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. I think this is very important from a theological standpoint of the continuity between Old Testament and New Testament because Christ was present in the wilderness wanderings of Egypt. He was there. Uh, He was that rock, Paul says, that followed him. Now, when they turned around and looked behind them, did they see that rock following them, leaving his trail behind them? Was it a literal rock following them? The Jewish interpretation at the time that Paul wrote this was that it was a rock that followed them. That's where they got their water supply. Now, Paul corrects that when he says it was a spiritual rock. And then he further clarifies it when he says that rock was Christ. So Christ was there. Christ is here now. He is the rock that followed them. All of the the goodness of God that they experienced, all of the blessings that they experienced there in the the, uh, release from captivity in Egypt during the wilderness, even during that, that punishment period of 40 years for refusing to go in, God was nevertheless good to them. That was Christ present in the wilderness wandering, the rock that followed them. Here's another verse, number five. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, you need to know a little bit of the context here for this verse to really stand out. You need to know what nevertheless means, but remember it begins with this list of of blessings that they had, of of the great experiences that they had at the hand of God. And even though all of them experienced that, nevertheless, they fell. And that serves as an example. It serves as a warning for the Corinthians and for us as well. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. These things were written for our benefit. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he falls. So those are my picks for 
and there may be others. Anybody else have anything else that's not listed here? You wonder how that happened? I'll tell you after class. I looked it up to make sure I knew. Yes. They were all together, they all experienced all the same things, but not all of them were saved. It's just like in right. church, you can go to church every Sunday of your life and, and, and witness everything and still not be saved. Um, and and there's, a, there's a, lot of, a lot of people. Yeah, there were millions of... As there are today. Yeah, there were millions in the wilderness. And it says that God was not pleased with most of them. How many actually entered? Two. Talk about your understatements. With most of them, out of millions, God was not well pleased. With two, Joshua and Caleb, he allowed to go into the promised land. The rest of them died in the wilderness. Discussion question number one. The first five verses of chapter 10, Paul lists several things that our fathers all experienced. I put that in quotes because it's important. Our fathers, we'll talk about it in a minute, all experienced. How many of these events are listed and what are they? Can you find the Old Testament descriptions of these common experiences or you can find the Old Testament descriptions of these common experiences here. And I gave you that list of verses. We won't go through them all, but they're there. So if you look back on the video, you'll be able to see the verses. So how many did you count there? Five. Anybody get a different count? Five sounds about right. And... And when you looked up the verses, what were these events that took place? Let me just go back and read. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So those things are the experiences that they all had. Were they good experiences or bad experiences? They were all very good, right? They saw the power and the goodness of God present with them in the Exodus and even during that period of punishment in the wilderness. They saw the goodness and power of God there. What, what does he mean when he talks about they were all under the cloud? What did the cloud do? And it also was their guide, right? So, so they had that cloud there by, uh, by day and the fire by night to lead them. The, pre the presence of God, yes. Uh, that was a manifestation of God's presence there, the proof. They all saw that. They all experienced this this cloud and the pillar of fire leading them through the wilderness. They all passed through the sea. That's the Exodus experience, isn't it? 
when God parted the water and they passed it on dry land, they all saw that. Imagine being there when that happened of passing through on dry land with the water piled up on either side of you. And then the Egyptian army being drowned as they followed. They all saw that. They all experienced it. They were all baptized into Moses, just as we are baptized into Christ. Then they, and he, because he is our leader, he becomes our leader, our Lord. Then in a sense, they were baptized into Moses. He was their leader. Uh, he was the prophet of that time in both the cloud and the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. What was that? The manna. Manna is Hebrew for what is it? That's what they said when they saw it. What is it? So it, the name stuck. It's manna. What is it? Uh, they drank uh, the same spiritual drink. What do you think that was? Water. water. Where where'd the water come from? From the rock. It was the water from the rock. Again, imagine being there. And Moses strikes the rock. Water sufficient for a couple of million people pours out of the rock. They saw that. All of them saw that. And that rock was Christ, we now know. But nevertheless, it says, with most of them, God was not pleased because they were overthrown in the wilderness. Why was it important that the Corinthians not be unaware of these things? Because you can taste good stuff in the church and uh, like the Israelites did in the Old Covenant and still not get it and God be displeased with you. Right. There are blessings today. There were blessings for the Corinthians. They had seen the hand of God. They had seen his power and his goodness, saving most of them out of paganism. There were some Jews there, but I think most of the Corinthian church was composed of Gentiles, of former Gentiles or Gentiles who had been converted to Christianity out of paganism or maybe out of nothingness. And they had seen the power of God in accomplishing that through the service of Paul. Paul. Paul was the agent that God used to do that with. They heard his preaching, but he says, I'm just a servant. I'm doing what God has asked me to do. So they saw the power of God in accomplishing all of that. And they were in danger because of their attitude toward things. They were in danger of displeasing God, weren't they? and slipping and falling. Is it important for us too to not be unaware of these things that happened to the Israel in the wilderness? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there are all types of things that we experience today in the church. And actually, my ESV Bible told me that. So um, what it, it talked about was, you know, the idea of manna from heaven and the community we experience. We should not just be satisfied we have these things, you know, be careful and we need to continue to um, take heed lest we fall into the same temptation. But as those all being baptism, the you know, the presence of Christ, living water, all of those were types, you know, right. 
Yes, and, and in fact, the word that's used is examples there. That's the word type. So, so they're a representation in the Old Testament to some spiritual thing or spiritual proof uh, in the New Testament. So these were all examples or types of things that happened to them in the wilderness that are types to us uh, as we can see spiritual reality in those things. All right, very good. Question number two. In verses 6 through 11, what things did the people of Israel do during the wilderness wanderings that serve as those examples for us? Are these good examples or bad examples? Are these things that are listed in 6 through 11 good things or bad things? They're bad things, aren't they? Very bad things that they engaged in that that tempted or, or rather that tested God and tested Christ. So they're bad things. If you looked up those verses, you could find some background and emphasize that emphasize the importance of these examples. What were those examples? Yes. Right. That's very good. I like the, the panic. Uh, it, it was as if they were in a state of panic, wasn't it? Uh, which might be, we might consider and look at that as being lack of trust in God's provision. He's promised to provide. They're afraid he won't do that. And so it's, it's like you said, the manna. They even call the manna this worthless food. Here we are. We need real food, not this worthless food that, that God had, had in his power provided. It was just there every morning for them. And if they didn't get it, it, it was gone. And so they, they despised the things that God provided. I think that falls into the category in verse 9 of testing Christ is the way Paul puts it, is testing Christ. It's, it's putting him to the test. It's like seeing how far they could go. You know, our, our older son, when he was about maybe three or four years old, we gave him a big wheel. Remember big wheels? We gave him one of those, and, and I told him he can ride up and down the driveway. But I took a piece of chalk, and I put it across the end of the driveway. I said, you cannot go beyond this chalk line here because you'll get out in the street and get run over. So go as fast as you can up and down through here, but you stop at that chalk line. And I was watching out the window one day as he was on his big wheel, and he stopped at that line, and he got off, and he looked at it, he looked back at the house, he stuck his foot over it. <laughs> Nothing happens. He gets back on his big wheel, and he rides, and he rides his big wheel up looks around again, turns the pedals and goes just over the line a little bit. Then he backs up and looks. And he keeps coming and he goes a little bit further and finally he crosses it all the way. And I had to go out and, and, uh, and discipline to reinforce the rule that you can't go. 
That's testing. It's seeing how far you can go and get away with it. And that's what the people in the wilderness wandering did. They tested God constantly until God judged them in very severe ways. But the things that we see there, their their, uh, desire for evil in verse 6, it's called. They had a desire for evil. And it lists there idolatry is one of those things. Sexual immorality, the testing of Christ in verse 9, and grumbling. They grumbled a lot, didn't they? Always grumbling. And they were severely punished for each one of those things, weren't they? Uh, they, There were plagues. There were other punishments. They, They died in the wilderness. In fact, the the word that we read previously, let me find it. Most of them were not, God was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. It's an interesting word. It means to lay something out. The idea here is it was as if the bodies of those two million people who died were strewn in the wilderness. They were just littering the wilderness. Now, I'm sure they buried them, but figuratively speaking here, it was as if they were scattered throughout the wilderness as an example to Israel of what would take place if they continued in all of these bad examples. Now, those things were examples for uh, the Corinthians, and they're examples for us, too, not to do the same thing. The Corinthians were very much in danger of those things, having come out of the culture that they did and continuing to live in the culture that they did. And they were grumbling a lot, too. Yes. serious by the time to 10. Um, the grumbling and complaining, as I grow older, uh, that's just such a serious thing. The misuse, the mouth, and the heart that gives words to the mouth, the attitude to speak against God. It's, right. That, so the murmuring, if there had not been those other things, the murmuring would have, they would have been lost because of the murmuring, which is a very serious. Right. Yeah, grumbling. You say, well, yeah, you shouldn't grumble. Uh, no. Grumbling's not, probably not the least of those things. They're all very, very serious things. But I wouldn't, I would not uh, diminish grumbling. Like you said, it's a very serious thing when we're grumbling against God. Question number three. Paul warns, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. What is the wonderful and encouraging promise from God described here that is the antidote for falling? I think we've already talked about that. Which verse? Take heed lest you fall. Take heed. And then what does it say immediately after that? 13, does it? 13 says that God will make the way of escape. 
so that we may endure it. So, yes, taking heed, seeing these things that we have read about in chapter 10 as examples that were given not only for the Corinthians, but also for us uh, to serve as warnings for us as well. And as believers, we take heed to those warnings. We're not fearful that we're going to lose our salvation, but when we read in Scripture these things, it should bring us up short and say, well, am I guilty of that? I don't think so, but maybe I ought to make some adjustments here. And, and we live the Christian life more effectively, and we engage in the process of sanctification to become more and more like Christ as we see these examples that are given to us in Scripture. Here's the outline that I have for us. First of all, the main point is the history of Israel in the wilderness. And two contrasting thoughts there. We see in verses 1 through 4, God's power and goodness. Contrasting with that in verse 5 is their rebellion and failure. Quite a contrast. Second thing, the examples for us in 6 through 13 and the way of escape in verse 13. So if we look down through those very quickly before our time is up, we see God's power and goodness exhibited there. In the cloud that, that led them through the wilderness and was the, the manifestation of God's presence with them. The sea, the parting of the sea, the baptism into Moses by both the cloud and the sea, that experience. Moses was the leader that God gave to them. The food that God provided for them, the manna and the quail, the drink that God provided for them are all examples of the goodness and power of God that they, and the emphasis there in that passage is on the word all. They all experienced that. They all were under the cloud. They all came through the sea. They all were in the baptism of Moses. They were all experiencing the food that God provided. They all drank from the water from the rock. And yet, nevertheless, it says, because of their rebellion and their failure, God was not well pleased. And they were, most of them, all 1,999,998 of them perished in the wilderness and two entered in. Those were the only two that said, no, we can do this. We can go into the promised land because God has promised. God has told us we can. Only two. And they were the only two allowed to actually enter after that period of wandering in the wilderness until everybody else died off. So their children were allowed to go in, and of those who were alive at the time, only Joshua and Caleb. Their rebellion and failure had consequences because even though they saw that power and goodness of God, they did not, they did not understand it. They did not conform their lives to it. They sinned against God. They grumbled against God. They suffered the consequences. That's a powerful example for the first Corinthians 
for the Corinthians and for us. And then in verses 6 through 13, we see the examples that are given for us, both Corinthians and us. These things he calls the desire for evil. Idolatry, they did that when they, when they constructed the golden calf, didn't they? It was, that, that was a representation of Yahweh. The golden calf was, but they did it through an image. So they, they, and then they proclaimed that golden calf to be the God that brought them out of Egypt. How wicked and evil can you get as to do that? The sexual immorality, that refers, I think, to the time when they went whoring with the Moabite women. The testing of Christ, when they constantly griped and they complained about the food and they, they said, why didn't you just let us die in Egypt rather than bringing us out to this place? They pushed and they pushed and they pushed. They tested God and then they suffered the consequences. And then the grumbling. And thousands died because of their grumbling. Now, letter B in that outline is very important. It's important for the doctrine of Scripture, for the doctrine of God's revelation to us, for understanding that God has revealed himself and his will to us in what he has written. And that is his special revelation of the Scripture. All of this was written down in Scripture for our example, for our instruction upon whom the ends of the world have come. That phrase is important too because we're living in the end times. Right now is the end times. It's one of those already but not yet things that we've talked about often in Scripture. We're already in the end time, but not yet. It's going to get worse. And as Rick talked about last week, I think it was, that the, 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 there must be a, revel, a revelation of the, of the uh, revealing, I'll say, of the, of the wicked one. All of that's coming to pass, and that is the, the end, end times that are coming. But we're in that end time now, and it's upon us that all of this has devolved so that we have the, the benefit of the instruction that God has given us of all those previous generations. And now that we're here at the end, we are in a better position to obey God, to love him, and to recognize his goodness and power like no other generation before us. The written instruction. And then the way of escape that we've talked about in verse 13. You'll notice in that verse that he says this is a common temptation. We've all probably known people who say, oh, but, you know, uh, my, my test and my temptation is worse than anybody else's. And he says, no, it's not. This is common. This is common temptation. Common testing of the trials of life as well as the, the desire for evil. But God is faithful, it says. He is a faithful God who will do what he has promised. And the result of that is a successful endurance if we remember it, if we take to heart those examples and we ask God for his help in enduring through those trials, those temptations. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, we thank you for this lesson. We pray again that you would uh, would would take this these things that you have written for our instruction, that we might take them to heart. We might wonder at the goodness and the power of God that we see present before us every day. When we see your working in our lives, when we think many of us of what we came out of and the trials that we have already experienced in the Christian life and how you have brought them, uh, brought us through them. And we know that you never change and you will bring us through anything else that may come up in our lives. And you will help us to endure and to become more and more like Christ. We look forward to that day when we shall be presented faultless before the throne. In Jesus' name, amen.